Hello and welcome to the Healthy People's Club podcast brought to you by myself Celeste and my best friend Sarah. We aim to bring you a multitude of authentic, honest and educational conversations which will equip you with the tools to navigate your own well-being. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 12 of the Healthy People's Club podcast. As always, I'm joined by the lovely Celeste. Good afternoon Hello. Celeste. Hi. She's sipping a cup of tea as usual. And we are so excited today. Our guest who, I'm gonna be quite honest, from the moment I joined the podcast, this is the person I wanted to get onto the podcast. So uh, yeah, I'm super happy this evening uh, to introduce Patricia Walsh. Welcome Patricia. Thank you. And that's such an honor to be asked. And I've got to also say that Sarah was my first ever CrossFit coach. And I was such a, you know, I was an athlete crossover and I was a little uncertain about CrossFit and Sarah really made it like we had to, I had such a great time. I, I do CrossFit to this day because of you. Aww. So I really appreciate that. So I was so honored to be asked and lovely to meet Celeste and, and really excited about what you guys are doing with the Healthy People's Podcast. So yeah, all, all positive all around. This is really great. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are welcome. We're so excited to have you on. Um, I'm going to do um, just a wee introduction for Patricia, but I always feel like a person that introduces themselves better themselves. So um, just to let you know, Patricia and I are the same age and we almost have the same birthday. So that makes our relationship really special. I'm five days older. Yeah, I don't don't, don't forget it either. Five days older than me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, just a little bit of background on Patricia. Uh, Patricia is a Paralympian. She is an Ironman world record holder. She is a five times USA champion. Uh, She's also an author um, of her book, Blind Ambition, which is incredible. So, I would say to anyone to go out and buy that and have a read. Um, She's also a TEDx speaker. And she is part of the Women of Adventure Garmin Initiative and um, a book they did as well, which I've also read, which is absolutely lovely. Oh, good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I, I thought they did a nice job that, on the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. And I gave a copy as well um, to oh, my nephews. My little so nephews. Do you remember? That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that makes me really happy. And I'll share that it. with them. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, uh, yeah, among many, many um, accolades. So, yeah, as Patricia said, self um, just a little bit of background through that just from my side um it was around i want to say about two years ago i came to crossfit putney after the end of the first lockdown and my reason was really just they were the first gym that opened um i was really grateful that you were the one there because i was quite nervous i just i had to get out of the house (laughs) open that's all i need (laughs) what i remember from patricia is seeing um this beautiful woman walk through the door and uh, the only thing the only thing that gave away to me that patricia was blind was the white cane she walked (laughs) into that room with kind of more confidence than uh, most people walking into uh, the gym for the crossfit for the first time um she took her square because obviously we were in lockdown so we had the the squares out um and she took to barbell snatches and box jumps like somebody that had been doing them forever uh was that your first barbell snatch by the way i believe it was yeah i I actually i do remember because you're always telling me be snappy right and um (laughs) i i really think there was a you know, I've been an athlete my whole life, but CrossFit did introduce me to some, like a lot of new lifts that I, I had done like, you know, squat and deadlift, but and yeah. I'd never done anything overhead. Um, yeah. 
uh, there was a lot of new stuff. But yeah, the confidence that you took to it with was just outstanding. And (laughs) I can honestly say it's from that moment that I realized, number one, you were a very special human. And after chatting to you for that hour, I realized that we were probably going to be quite good friends. Yeah, yeah. And then when we found out we had the same birthday, I was like, it it all adds up. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Just do the math. Exactly. (laughs) There is just, you know, a teeny bit on Patricia. We are going to go into um, uh, the life of Patricia a lot more as we go along. Um, But I'm just going to hand over to Celeste and she's just going to let us know the topics we're going to be touching on today. Yeah, of course. Um, Again, yeah, welcome, Patricia. And for me, it's the kind of the first time we've been in the same space before but it is an absolute honor to have you on the show um and I've been completely inspired by your journey from talking to Sarah um and also listening to other podcasts and your TED talk so I cannot wait to get stuck into the topics today um we are going to cover a few different things but resilience and self-worth motivation and how to actualize and achieve your goals And then one which I feel like I'm going to learn so much from um, is coming back from injury as an athlete and applying the same resilient mindset to recover um, and we go through rehab. Yeah, this all sounds great. Perfect. All right. Well, let's jump straight in. Um, So tell us a little bit, who is Patricia? Kind of a little bit on your background, family life, um, where you're from. And also, because I just touched on it just a moment ago, if you could tell us what happened when you were younger, which caused you to lose your sight. Yeah, thank you. So um, uh, what I consider home is Austin, Texas. uh, But the truth of the matter is my dad and I moved around quite a bit. so uh, I grew up with my dad, uh, separated from my mom at a very young age, about five. Um, so we, I don't uh, really have much relationship with her. So it was my dad and I. And um, I had a brain tumor when I was about, f- I was five years old. And the, the way they found the tumor, which um, no one knows uh, if I ever did have full vision or not, because when you're that young, you don't notice that you're different. Um, so I was with my dad and my older sister on a ferry boat and they were pointing to a seal off the edge of the boat. And I thought they were playing some joke on me because I didn't see any seal. And that was my dad's first inkling, like something's not right. Um, so we then, you know, went to several eye doctors, but it was difficult to diagnose because mine was actually a brain tumor causing an eye problem. So an eye doctor is not the correct professional. So there was a lot of back and forth about that. Um, so yeah, so once uh, you know the the timeline moved really fast. Once the tumor was identified, once we found a neuro ophthalmologist, um, they identified that the nerve in the right eye was completely dead, and there's no positive outcome from a completely dead nerve. So then they we did an emergency MRI, which were very new at the time in '86, and um, gosh, I think I had surgery like 48 hours later. Um, so it's pretty significant. Um, and as a result, I have no vision in my right eye and I have a tiny bit of light, but like if I'm sitting here on my computer, I can't see you ladies or see my hands. Um, I can just tell if a light is on or off and only a very narrow field of light. Thank you, Patricia. And, um, yeah, that's, so that's a great first off kind of, you know, insight into a little bit about yourself. And obviously now everyone can kind of understand when we talk about all the amazing things you've done, you've also done those, you know with uh you know with, with without sight as well which is incredible yeah i think without sight is interesting because two two things i'll say to that and i because you know i there are a lot of parents of children with disabilities and one thing that i think is really counterintuitive is that my dad was very adamant to hold me to the same standard 
um, which really meant that I had to find ways to advocate for myself and I had to find ways to adapt. Because I think if you expect the world to adapt to you, you know, that will fall short pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be very limiting. Like, that's kind of the difference between like surviving and like having agency in your life and, and having the opportunity to go to a CrossFit class, even though you've never done it before without like a special assistance. Um, and I think there's a lot of freedom and independence. So I think it's really counterintuitive for parents of children with special needs. Like the best gift you can give them is that freedom and independence that honestly it comes from a little bit of struggle. Um, so, you know, if you're uncomfortable, it's, it's you will, I always say this, like I, I probably said this to you when I took that CrossFit class with you, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but we'll find a way. Like, we'll figure yeah. it out. But it's going to be a little bit of trial and error, you know. Yeah. It's not pretty on the first go. You know? Absolutely. I feel like Celestia would be able to relate to that massively being a teacher, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, just sort of ensuring young people do sort of build that resilience to overcome uh, many of the different challenges that they will face um, throughout life. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm actually quite interested to to hear maybe, maybe now's the time. Sorry to Sarah, I know I'd not ask questions exactly. <laughs> um, you know, like what was your experience like at school and, and being yeah. in that kind of environment? Is it, you know, Celeste, it's a really, it's a really important question. And, and one thing to, to say, you know, I went to school um, I'm 41, and so I went to school mid 80s, mid and then the 90s. And I think accessible technology. So I can give you like a little demo. So my my phone, my laptop, my everything reads out loud. So I went to school before that was that really came out in the early 2000s. So I went to school before technology, mm -hmm. and I think at the time, they thought it was a kindness or a generosity to pass a student who was disabled, without holding them to the same standard and they would have a lower bar. You would be excused from math or excused from this. And the reason I, I really would advocate for any parent or any person with a disability to push that they be held to the same standard is because it's, it's a development opportunity. If you don't get the third grade math, that means by the time you're in sixth grade, you are left behind probably to a point where you actually cannot catch up. And what that means is university is not on, on the table for you. And that doesn't necessarily, this is what I, I talk to a lot about kind of learned helplessness or about, you know, um, the, 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 they're being, I think individuals can be disabled by forces other than their disability. You know, we certainly can, can do these things in braille, can do these things in audio, whatever it is, you know, you can find a way around. So I think I had a real struggle to get teachers to hold me to the same standard, which fortunately I had, my dad was quite adamant about it. Um, I will admit, by the time I got to university, I actually was quite behind and ended up having to take a year off just to learn some basic skills and, and really go back and take some, some courses that I thought I had, but unfortunately hadn't been held to the same standard. And I think there's a real cost there that people don't realize that sometimes if you're quote unquote helping, um, it, it, like offering a lower standard is never helpful because it's, it's removing an opportunity for that student to develop. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, yeah. A lot of these things with disability are quite counterintuitive. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest that I've actually, I have, you know, uh, been daring enough to speak to some parents, groups of parents uh, with, of children with disabilities. And I've gotten some real backlash from that because they think they want a safe environment, which isn't necessarily what will help that development. You know, so it is very, I understand it's very counterintuitive and probably, probably much harder on the parents than on the students. I think it would be so important and so, so helpful to have you go into schools and, and speak like that, Patricia, honestly. Yeah, 
unfortunately, they're not very receptive <laughs> to, to hearing it. But I will say, you know, you mentioned that book, and hopefully I do have a copy here somewhere. Um, but the book is called um, Being Brave in a Big World, the Garmin book. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I was so pleased to be featured in a children's book. It, you know, first of all, the book is about you know, encouraging all women of all shapes and sizes uh, to be um, participating in sports and active lifestyle, which I thought was a great message. Um, but I was so pleased to be kind of the representation of disability and what a person with a disability can do. Um, because I think the truth of the matter is a lot of parents probably don't know they probably don't know that their child could do so much more. And then they probably feel like, is it unfair that they push their child? But absolutely it's fair. But if you don't have an example, how would you ever be confident you're doing the right thing? Um, yeah. You know, I'm very grateful to my dad that I don't think he was too bothered <laughs> by what other people thought. Um, so, you know, but I, I think he also got some backlash for pushing me as hard as he did, but I, I don't think I would have been capable had he not. So I'm really grateful to him for that. Definitely. And I, I'm, I'm so happy you've said that as well, Patricia, because so many teachers listen to this and I I share it with all the teachers I work with. But I think it's good just as a reminder for teachers as well. Like mm -hmm. it is important to hold those standards and offer support. But equally, like we want young people, regardless of who they are and what challenges may, they may face, that they have the tools to overcome them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You and know, I always say that like accommodation is a is an alternate tool. It's not an allowance. It's mm -hmm. not a lower standard. Um, and I think like as a person with a disability, but it's it's probably true for a lot of different populations. But I can only speak for what I know. If you go into employment, the number one skill you need is to advocate for yourself. That is the number one tool, and that does not come overnight because it, a lot of times. Uh, the people who mean to be helping you are actually the people who are holding you back. And there's a little bit of finesse. It's not a matter of you're asking for help and they're not giving you help. It's a matter of they've helped you in ways that aren't actually helpful. And you've got it like in a way that preserves that relationship. Still get the help that you actually do need and or get them to stop doing whatever they're doing, you know, um, which it is very complicated. I do understand it's a difficult, difficult communication and there's just not a ton of examples. Mm. Because as well, Patricia, you've been through, you know, uh, over more hurdles than maybe others had to. Do you think that's given you kind of a bigger drive? Do you think that's where your drive comes from? Because um, we're going to go into this now. But Patricia, not just in um, her, you know, athletic career, but also in a, she's a businesswoman and she's a very, very intelligent businesswoman. And um, you've worked for many different organizations. And so do you think your drive came from there? that brought you to the place where you're at as a businesswoman and as an athlete? Yeah, I think the drive came from kind of a, uh, a, a need to, a, a, it started as a need to prove yourself because, you know, if we think back to the 80s and 90s, persons with disabilities were, were really largely segregated. And, you know, I went to university and, and my my dad did tell me professionals did tell me that the idea of a person with blindness and my degree of blindness pursuing university the words that i kept hearing were this is going to be an exercise in failure and my thinking at the time was they absolutely could be right because i had no i had nothing to base any self-confidence on you know i i had tried and failed lots of things so if you tell me i'm going to try and fail this like i I've got a history that kind of proves that, mm -hmm. but my thinking at the time was I'd be so much better off to try and just know for sure. Just like I'll, I'll, it'll end one way or the other, but I'd rather just, just 
you know, give it a fair shot so that I feel confident for the rest of my life that this wasn't an opportunity missed. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think my first term, I did largely fail because I didn't have the right tools. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't have the computer skills and literacy. Um, so I took two more terms. It got a little bit better. And then I made the choice to to leave university because um, I think to a degree I had proven them right that this was not going to work out for me. Um, I had a great opportunity to work whilst I was at university. I met a professor who was blind and he had a part time job. So I ended up working for him and then he taught me through that job. Um, I learned some technology and some skills and, and really learned from him. I was able to go back to university and then complete a degree in computer science and electrical engineering. So I have a double engineering degree. And um, I think what I really learned and I think where my drive really comes from is I want to know what the upper limit is and I will never know without trying, you know, and continuing to try and, and I've achieved so much more than I ever believed possible that it is kind of a thrill and kind of a, an enjoyment um, that comes from figuring out what that is. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a bit of a cycle that has happened where, you know, there have been so many failures on the way that I think one of the skills I have learned is how to kind of reframe and regroup and figure out like, okay, this didn't go as planned. How do we immediately try something different and maybe not spending a ton of time, even really thinking about what happened or figuring out, you know, or having that, that moment of, of sadness or self pitying of what happened, but like, what are you going to try next? And really kind of coming at it with a, you might have to try 10 different times before you figure out something that's going to work. But in the end, you will. I can't think of very many times where I've tried something, uh, you know, and really committed to it that it didn't actually work out for me to to a degree, to a degree. I love that. Love that. Love that. Learning from failure and also just having that growth mindset as well. Mm -hmm. Not allowing those setbacks to stop you going on to achieve the next thing. And that's been so obvious throughout your whole career. And, you know, I feel like we need to jump in and talk about your athletic career as well. A little oh, bit. yeah. Thank you. Please, if you don't mind. Um, so for I mean, for yourself, when you were. Go, you know, you can talk to us a little bit in a moment about, um, you know, the being in the Paralympics and mm -hmm. how you started your athletic career. But did you always feel like you wanted to be, you, you needed to prove yourself against not only other people that are blind, but also everybody else that's not blind to be, you know, the best that yeah. you can do regardless? It's interesting to think in, in hindsight, because I actually, I was unaware of Paralympics or adapted sports until I was in my late twenties. Um, so I had always done sports, but I competed against sighted athletes because I didn't know there were blind athletes. So I think I was under the misimpression that I was kind of the first, <laughs> which I don't, unfortunately that's not true. Um, but my first claim to fame as an athlete, I would have been about 17 and I found a track coach that was willing to let me figure out how to run on a track, which I think she got a lot of pressure from because they thought it was a safety issue. And that's another thing I would always stress that a person with a disability is not a liability or a safety issue necessarily. I cannot tell you how often I hear this. Um, she uh, helped me train to do the 100 meter and the 200 meter. And my first ever claim to fame was I uh, won what was our state meet. Um, uh, I was actually in Canada at the time with my dad, but because um, we'd moved quite a bit. But I won uh, the state meet for Ontario against sighted girls um, in the hundred meter with a 12.1. So that was my first moment of feeling like it really fueled me in terms of a belief in that I might be able to do more than people realized. You've got everyone around you 
giving you these messages that are mostly well-intentioned, um, but actually can be quite belittling. And it was my first moment where like, you actually can be contributing something um, around you and, and actually stand out on your own merits um, based on being a person, not just a person with blindness. Um, so I, yeah, I continued to run and running was always kind of my home base. Like it's where I would, if I'm stressed or sad or you'll find me on the treadmill, it still is kind of where I, I, I do my best thinking. Um, in university, I moved to running um, marathons and I actually still didn't know about, this is crazy in hindsight, I still didn't know about guides. So I would just enter a marathon, find someone who's roughly my speed and just obnoxiously run closely behind them, even if it was someone I didn't know. I completed about 10 marathons that way. Um, really unsafe, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> and then I learned to stop telling them I was blind because they panic and freak out. So I just stopped doing it, stopped telling them. Um, it's oh, Patricia, really... I, I thought I couldn't love you anymore. And I do, honestly. <laughs> Then someday um, I was at an event where there were blind athletes running with guides and um, I, that was my first awareness. But at that point I had done, I mean, easily 10 marathons um, on my own. Um, so yeah, I continued to do marathons. Then a friend of mine dared me to do Ironman and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what the distances were. I didn't know how to swim. I'd never swam. Certainly had no idea how a blind person would do a bike. Um, I signed up that same day and then spent about a year figuring out how to do all of that. Um, and then uh, I, in 2010, I became the first blind female to have ever competed, completed an Ironman with a female guide. And then in 2011, I actually won the world record for fastest blind and low, blind and low vision athletes, uh, male and female. Um, since then, a lot of men have come out of the woodwork. So my, um, at the time I beat the male record by 55 minutes and the woman's record by four hours. Um, one thing that is really exciting about this to me is I think people don't know what they're capable of until they have a target to hit. And I'm really proud to have, I think, had a role in raising that bar because now, um, you know, the male time is far faster than me. Um, and the female time, I think now there's a, a female who's within about three minutes. Um, so, with a target to hit, I think the athletes always were there. And I think there's athletes who, who are probably more capable than I am. But if they didn't have an example to look at of something that they could also be capable of, you know, it's really a very aimless feeling. If you like, I still feel this, um, I still feel it in my career, because I don't know any other blind person, male or female, who is at my uh, same career path or at my same level of success. So it's hard to know, like, you still have that hint in the back of your mind, like, have I hit the ceiling? Have I hit the ceiling? Which it, it might be true, but really we have to kind of continue, continue pushing those boundaries to find out what that is. And like, and again, in my employment, I'm very proud to be someone who's raising that bar and that standard, but it's not always easy to, to continue to believe when you are the first one doing something, if that makes sense. No. Patricia, I've literally got goosebumps. I've, I've heard the oh. story, but I'm hearing it again, and it's so inspirational. Like, it's absolutely incredible to hear this. And I, it comes back to maybe one of my favorite quotes. Sarah, I probably said this to, to you a million times, but I'm always like, you can do hard things. And I yeah. often say to myself, in that, you know, like, whenever there's challenges, like, oh, it's, it's okay. You, you can do yeah. things. It's really difficult. And having that kind of mindset and how that sets I us up. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how like, I always wish I had some like real inspirational, inspirational quote, but honestly, what goes through my head quite often is like, you're not where you want to be now, but you will be given some time. 
you know, I have to remind myself, particularly like at work, I, I will sometimes feel quite, I work at Facebook now and it's a pretty competitive environment. And, um, you know, every once in a while you feel like, like I'm, I'm, I'm behind. I don't know how to catch up and I don't know how to do better than I'm doing. And I just always remind myself, like, this is where we're at now. We have a development plan. We have a strategy, a little bit of patience in a year's time, you will be where you want to be. And in a year's time from that, you'll be further than you ever knew possible. But I, I will say my, my motto to myself is just like, you're not there now, but you will be. Just stay the course, you know, just, just stay on what you're doing. I love that. Now, Patricia, I have to then go on to ask you, is it this, that kind of growth mindset um, that you developed as an athlete that's helped you recently? Do you want to give us a quick lowdown of kind of what's happened in the last two years with yes. you? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, uh, when I'm stressed, I run. And um, I had, I think everyone had a pretty difficult uh, 2020 and 2021, and I did as well. And so anytime um, anyone wanted to, to go for a run, um, I said, yes. Yeah. So I had no real training plan, but I was running sometimes 18 miles a day. Um, and I ended up with a stress fracture. I continued to compete on it and um, I ended up with a spiral fracture, pretty nasty fracture. So I've since um, October, I've had two surgeries. They put a metal rod in my left leg. And um, I'm now, you know, I'm back uh, to doing CrossFit even now, um, just a few months later. Um, so to put it in perspective, they said I wouldn't walk um, for eight to 12 months. And I'm now six months out and back to training. But it was, you know, it was really challenging. And the reason why I had suggested to talk about this, I think it was challenging in a lot of ways, right? Uh, when I'm stressed, I do exercise. And all of a sudden it was like a coping mechanism that was no longer available. But also, uh, I've rooted a lot of my own confidence in my ability to be an athlete. A lot of my identity is rooted in in my ability to be an athlete. And all of a sudden, I was not honestly sure that I was going to make a full recovery from that injury. And I'm, what does this mean for me now? And what, what do I do without sports? Um, so, you know, what I really tried to do was, if I think of my commitment to my athletics, it's really about getting your plan and if you if you cheat your plan the only person you're cheating is yourself you know if you cheat on your dietary nutrition the only person you, who will pay the price is yourself so i really tried to take that same level of commitment to my rehabilitation and uh, my poor physio you know i think i worked him really hard and um, i was i was very proud when he told me that most athletes he has to encourage but to me he has to tell me what not to do <laughs> because <laughs> I really made a goal of taking, you know, my straight leg lifts and my bridges and all of my, you know, rehab exercises that are not fun at all um, and doing them about 90 minutes a day. Um, uh, so, you know, I really was able to kind of reclaim a little bit of a sense of control over my own life. Um, I think my commitment to my athletics will be different in the future. I think I'll have a lot more reverence for that ability and like that gift that it is to be able to run. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I was very proud to take kind of all these things I learned as an athlete going into the Olympics to then to recovery program and, and to be largely successful. But a lot of that also, I would say it was the commitment to the plan, but also a willingness to kind of push yourself with the caution of not re-injuring yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, helped quite a bit. You know, if you can do the straight leg with three kilos, give four a try, back off if it's the right thing to do, but you might be able to do it. And like, you don't know that you can't until you give it a good try um, with, with some caution. Exactly.
I'm nodding away. A lot of this is resonating with resonating with me. So oh, yeah, I think yes, all I athletes like that. injury. Injury is just such a it's it's the physical, but I would say I what I found more challenging was like the mental, emotional, and and also yeah. given a long recovery, it's very um, what's the right word for that? Um, it's very fatiguing to uh try and try and try and see such slow progress. But it's again mm-hmm. just that belief that like in a few months' time you will be where you where you where you wanted to be Patricia can I ask so um one of the questions that I really struggle with when I when I was injured quite recently was like if I'm not Celeste who is you know into CrossFit and does all of this running who am I oh yeah you went through those same sort of questions and and how did you overcome them yeah I did and I think this injury challenged me more um strangely the second surgery the first surgery was really significant and I couldn't walk for three months and I was on crutches and I needed a lot of help and that was mentally emotionally quite taxing the second surgery they just had to remove a screw and for whatever reason I found that surgery I think mentally emotionally more difficult because I was like I've already been through this like I did the rehab I did the work why am I back on crutches um and I will say, I think more than I ever have done in the past, I did have those days where you just go back to bed and don't do anything. Um, I tried to kind of maybe have a new respect for balance. So I took like a, a sculpture class, got into a book club, tried to find community and friendships outside of my athletics. Um, and I've actually found that really rewarding, but it was, I was to a point, and, and maybe you both can relate, I didn't really know what I like to do outside of sports. I, I don't like fancy restaurants. I don't like to drink a lot. I, you know, what, but what does that mean? What's left? And the, the, the answer, the good news, the answer is there's lots of things that are left and there's lots of ways, you know, to have that community, but it did take, a, again, a little bit of trial and error to figure out, like, I, I have no idea what I do outside of sports. Um, yeah. Oh, Patricia, there's honestly so many similarities with, I, I'm, I'm just relating so much over here. I oh, know good. Oh, it's, yeah. so what, what, I, I can't think of more, a more wonderful conversation that you know, of people should be having. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, it was really, it was interesting, you know, you see yourself and, I, and some of my identity also, I mean, I have a book on resilience and but all of a sudden I'm the one pulling the covers over the head. You know, it's like, just to just to touch on that, Patricia, although um, <laughs> this podcast isn't going to be a super long one, I would absolutely love to do another podcast with you. I've already got it in my head uh, that's going to cover kind of resilience and, and goals and stuff a lot more. Yeah, this, I'd be happy to anytime. Was, and I'm really happy for what you know you all are doing. So, yeah, anything I can do to support you all as well. Honestly, yeah, because the book's incredible and there's so much in there I'd like to delve into as well. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, makes you really happy. Well, I mean, if it's helpful, I can give just a quick synopsis of kind of what I try to communicate in the book. And that is, you know, as you're setting your goals, kind of figure out like how it aligns with your core values or with the change you want to see. And for me, a lot of that has really been to raise the bar of how persons with disabilities are are seen and perceived by being an example of a person with a disability who's on par or or elite um, in the athletics. And now I'm I'm trying to do the same for employment, but I very often have to remind my own self like why that's important and think back to what it was like to be in the 80s when there wasn't technology, there there wasn't awareness and a lot of really well-intentioned but discouraging messages. And like if I could be the example to help someone in that situation. You know that's worth working hard every day and that's worth focusing and it's worth you know all the various um you know 
costs associated so yeah and i feel like it's really important to say as well that um you know that when uh, Patricia talks about, you know, setting goals and ambitions and, um, and motivation and all of that kind of stuff. It's for absolutely anyone. It's not necessarily if you're an athlete. It's not necessarily if you're, you know, a, a business person. It, it could be in all walks of life. Yeah, that's a really great point because it really what I tried to speak to, and I did try to make that approachable in the book, it just anyone it doesn't matter you know maybe you um you know are dahlia farmer maybe you're, you're whatever but what's the change you want to see what's the thing that you care about and that could be you know supporting your family or providing security for yourself i mean we all have those things that really just inspire us at a really core level like if i think for my own self of raising the bar for the way that person with disabilities are perceived there's never going to be a moment in my life, no matter how injured or sad or exhausted I am, there's never going to be a moment where I don't care about that. I will always care about that enough to actually do the work. And I think it's like, it can cut through the fog and it can cut through all the discouragement if you find something that you align with strongly enough um, to, to forever be able to refocus. Absolutely. I think that is like the perfect um, way to wrap up. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so many people can take a lot away from this conversation i mean we've literally just touched on a few things but i feel like as sarah said before like we could probably have chatted for two hours but um oh i would love that if ever we get the chance let's do it <laughs> let alone the podcast like we are going out for dinner for yeah brunch. we're going out <laughs> I, I can't help myself but here's the cover of the book that's amazing Gosh, um it's been a while now Patricia, just before we go, um, where can people find you? Um, yeah, thank you so much. So on Instagram, I'm at blind. Um, no, that's not correct. Oh, oh, yes, it is. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. At Instagram, I'm at blind ambition Patricia. Um, and on Facebook, I'm Patricia Walsh. I'm verified, so I'm the Patricia Walsh with the blue check. Not the other famous Patricia Walsh is um a medium. And then uh, my email is Patricia at blindambitionspeaking.com. So thanks. So. I'm sorry. I think I do need to go. Uh, thank you, Patricia. Well, we'll okay. add the details in the show notes. Okay. Thank you so much for giving thank up you. your time. And we'll speak to you very, very, very soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks you both. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Patricia. Hey, everybody. On behalf of Sarah and I just want to once again, thank you for tuning in, listening to the podcast. Um, as always, we massively appreciate your support. And would just love it if you could share and rate the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye.